0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com.
1: So... We are wrapping up chapter 8 today. Um, Last week, if you weren't with us, uh, Jesus makes one of the most powerful statements that he could possibly make, and it is, I am the light of the world. That's in verse 12. Verses 1 through 11 of of chapter 8 was the woman caught in adultery. And most of the time, we catch that passage completely uh, isolated. We don't see it in the context of what's going on, what's going on with Jesus, what's going on with uh, the disciples and with the crowd. But what was happening, it wasn't, like I tried to explain two weeks ago, it was not a passage that, uh, that we go, should go to to say, okay, how should we treat people who do some, some foolish things, nor how should we uh, treat people after they do some foolish things like we typically do? Because the legalist looks at the, the passage of the woman caught in adultery and says, see, he, he forgives her, but he also says, go and sin no more. So it's not just a blank slate of, you know, total forgiveness. It's, 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 he forgives her for that, but then he charges her, don't ever do this again. But then the, what we call the licentious, uh, the ones who say, you know, sin's not a big deal. There's no such thing as sin anymore. They look at it and, and where Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. So it's like, well, how can we bring charge against our fellow brother and sister in Christ? Who are we to say, hey, man, I don't think this is, you know, passing the sniff test in your life right here, if we have any sort of sin in our life? So he's without sin, cast the first stone. So the licentious goes to that passage to say, hey, see, can't judge me, can't speak into my life, you have sin in your own life. And then the legalist goes to that same passage and says, see, yeah, he might have forgiven her, but he also said, you better not ever do this again or else. And so hopefully what we talked about uh, clarified some of those things because that's not what it was about at all. In fact, I don't really think it's about a woman in adultery at all. It's about Jesus faithfully, perfectly fulfilling the Mosaic law so that we wouldn't have to, so we can receive his perfection And so uh, that's how it started. They were trying to use the law of Moses to shed light on the situation. And Jesus, faithful to the law of Moses, says, If you have committed sin, if you've not committed sin in bringing charge against her, which they all had, you throw the first stone. And they couldn't throw stones at her because they had sinned in bringing these charges against her. And so as the woman sort of leaves, he stands up and he says to those who are remaining, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the one who sheds light onto the reality of what's going on in this dark and sinful place. Not Moses, not the law, not your interpretation of the law, you Pharisees. I'm the light of the world. So last week we saw his interaction all the way through verse 30, I think it was. We're going to pick up today. This is the same conversation and he's still in the temple uh, and people are some of them are believing him, some of them are picking up stones to throw at him. And we pick up in verse 31 where it says, "So those who were believing in him." So those so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him. They're like, "Okay, we cannot deny that you must be the Christ. We can't deny it. I mean, look at what you're doing. Look at what you're teaching. Look at how all the Pharisees, they're not throwing, they're not they're not able to, you know, put you out. You must be the Christ." So he says to them, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We've all heard that passage, right? Probably most of us was bumper sticker. That's on coffee mugs. You know, I've got the t-shirt you. And so what is he saying about this being set free, set free from what? Well, the, Jews didn't understand it. They're going to chime in here in a second. But I want to point out a couple quick things. If you continue in my word, what is he talking about? If you continue reading Genesis through Revelation, then you'll be uh, truly my disciple. So if you want to be a disciple, then you've got to read Genesis through Revelation faithfully. Hey, read Genesis through Revelation faithfully. It's, it's, it's incredible. But is that what he's getting at in order to really be Mine, you must read these letters written to these various people? Maybe. But the problem is, Matthew through Revelation wasn't even written yet. So what what is he talking about? I think he's talking about the message, the word, that he had been sharing this whole time, that your point of reference is no longer how faithfully you execute the Mosaic Law, but your point of reference is now someone else who perfectly fulfills the mosaic law that's what he had just finished talking with them about earlier before verse 31 that if you must change the way that you see this it can't be you putting your hope and trust in your performance to fulfill it but in someone else's and i see those thumbs coming out again pointing to himself and so i think that's the word the word is this word of rest, this word of faith, this word of believing that someone else, the Messiah, can, do, can, can rescue you from this slavery. Because he talks about being set free. Well, if you need to be set free, what were you before being set free? Well, that's a hard one. Not set free, right? You were enslaved. But to what? And see, the Pharisees or these Jews, who were beginning to believe that surely this guy must be the Messiah, they were confused too. Free from what, Jesus? They answered him. He says, listen to the pride in this. And it's okay. I mean, they didn't know better. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, as I read that the first time a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I mean, not the first time ever, but like in preparation for the series, I was like, wait a minute, We've never been enslaved to anyone? What about the whole Pharaoh thing? So, obviously, they can't be talking about, like, our ancestry. Maybe they're just talking about, like, we, like, the current generation. It has to be because, obviously, they were enslaved to Pharaoh for generations. So, let's just assume they're talking about the current generation. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? We're already free. We're not enslaved to anyone. They're thinking physical. Jesus is clearly referencing spiritual. And he's been doing that the whole book, ever since Genesis, uh, uh, that too, but John chapter one. He's been revealing a spiritual reality where they've been so focused on the physical reality. So what I hear Jesus, them saying, is they're ignorant of their own. Slavery. How can you be set free from something that you don't realize you're enslaved to? And there's some debate as to whether or not Harriet Tubman actually made this quote, but uh, I've read that she has been quoted as saying that I, Harriet Tubman, freed a thousand slaves, and I would have freed a thousand more had they simply known they were enslaved. They were slaves. Because generations had come in this culture of slavery, in Annabelle himself, that there was uh, not even a realization of what freedom actually looked like. This was life. This is what we did. This is what we do. This is who we are. And so the, 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 the point I'm trying to make is, if you don't even realize that you're enslaved to something, then you're not going to realize the need or the means by which you get out of that slavery. So wouldn't it be nice if there was someone who came on the scene and was maybe like a light to shine into that darkness, to open up eyes so that people could really see, wow, I am enslaved spiritually to something. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, I think it would be so good if God would do that. Well, I think that's exactly what we have by Jesus saying he's the light of the world. Um, So... To whom or to what is this slavery to? It's a good question. They say, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been a slave to anyone. How can you say we've been, we will be free. We are free. And Jesus helps them out. This is the, this is the light of the world being shown into darkness. Is that the right verb? Shown, being illuminated into darkness. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone... Who commits sin is the slave of sin. So the slavery that he's talking about, he's not talking about Rome or, you know, some uh, geopolitical force. He's talking about something very much more detrimental: the slave owner of sin itself. So the slave owner is sin, and the enslaved. Are those who have ever committed sin? Now, let's try. We've been trying to put our feet into the shoes of these first-century Jews, trying to somehow set aside, you know, our Western culture and our understanding of the New Covenant a little bit, because this is all before the New Covenant started. But when the, uh, do you think, if put yourself in their shoes? Is this where you imagine Jesus going? Talking about enslavement to sin? I I don't think that's at all on their radar screen as far as where they thought Jesus was going to go with this. If everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, then who is free? That leaves, in my book, nobody free. But there is one. Who never committed sin. And again, this isn't what this passage is about, but this is why we must be incredibly adamant about the virgin birth. The virgin birth is absolutely required for salvation to be present. Because if the virgin birth was not such, then the power of sin, the presence of sin, would have been passed from Joseph onto Jesus, if Jesus was simply the product of Joseph and Mary, or any man in Mary, then Jesus would have the power of sin in him, and he himself would be tied a slave to sin because of what Adam and Eve did thousands of years prior in the garden. So if Jesus be not virgin-born, then there is no gospel at all, which is why Satan seeks to attack the virgin birth because if he can eliminate that then he can he eliminate, eliminates Christianity altogether. So Jesus explains this to them in verse 35. He says the slave he's using make an illustration here, a parable. The slave does not remain remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. We know that uh, verse 2, right, just like the other one, that's bumper sticker material as well. So what is he talking about? The slave has no rights to the house. The slave is not an heir. He, he's not an inheritor of anything that the house has, the household, the, 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 the owner, the, the master of the house. However, Jesus says the son, by birth, by family heritage, he is remaining in the house forever. Now, let's, let's paint a scenario here. Let's take what Jesus is saying, and let's come up with a scenario. If a son, a son of the, of the household, decides to set one of the slaves in that household free, now, now, don't shout it out at first without thinking, how long will, in fact, that slave be free? If a son sets the slave free, how long will that slave, in fact, be free? Amen. Think about it. Any thoughts? As long as, as long as the son is free. As long as the son lives. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Let's think about it. Let's say there's, you know, an ornery uh, sibling, right, who doesn't want that particular slave to be free. We're just going off the record here, like this is we come up with a scenario. There's an Henri, you know, uh, sister. It's always got to be a sister, because uh, I have two sisters. Um, who does, I mean, she's the evil sister. She doesn't want that slave to be free. She doesn't want any slaves to be free. She likes the whole slavery thing, perhaps. So if that son who set that slave free dies, then if she's in control of the household by the death of the father, whatever the scenario might be, she now has the power to enslave that slave again, doesn't she? If she's in control of the household now. So that slave truly is only free as long as the son is alive. As soon as that son dies, who knows? Flip a coin. There's probably a movie about this, I'm sure. Disney, I'm sure, has created something about this. So evil stepsisters and stuff, right? So... If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And I'll just, I don't want to add anything to Jesus saying, but the understanding is, as long as that Son is alive. So what do we know about the gospel? If you go to Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews makes this super, super simple for us. He says, therefore, he, Jesus, is able also to save forever. That word forever literally means completely, totally, completely forever forever. Those who draw near to God through him since he, Jesus, always lives. So here's the deal. Our salvation is inseparable to the life of Jesus. If Jesus were to ever die, then our salvation would end. That's why I, again, like with the virgin birth, am absolutely adamant about the inability to lose one's salvation. Because in order for you to lose your salvation or anybody to lose their salvation, you, in essence, are subscribing to the fact that Jesus Christ himself is able to no longer exist. And if he's able to no longer exist, then is he Lord? Is he God? He died once and for all, and he was raised from the dead to never taste death again. And by his everlasting life, his eternal life, is a guarantee for those of us, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit in the story, but for those of us who were slaves to sin and have now been set free from the Son, our freedom is tied to his life. However long his life is, that's how long our salvation is. And that's why Paul in uh, Colossians chapter three says, we have been hidden in Christ, with, God, with Christ in God. And He now is our life. We've talked about this a million times. He's not a priority of our life, but He actually is our life. So if we believe people can lose their salvation, then we're believing that Jesus will no longer exist. Because the quality, the quantity, the duration, the guarantee as Hebrews says, of this new covenant is the very life of Christ himself. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I could be wrong, but I just don't think he's going to die again. If he is, then, I mean, what in the world are we doing here? Let's go back to John. And so they're saying, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved. And he gives them this illustration. Hey, look, the Son can set you free. And there's a capital S, by the way, on that verse 36. So as as long as the son lives, the slave is free. So the freed slave is free as long as the son who freed him lives. So Jesus has been talking primarily about spiritual slavery to sin, obviously, and the Jews are thinking physical. So Jesus meets them where they're at. He starts talking about their physical descendancy here. Descendancy? Physical descent? Uh... I know that you are Abraham's descendants. I understand that. Like, they, you can read it in Matthew, all throughout the Old Testament. You, you, so and so begot such and such, who begot such and such, Numbers, the whole book of Numbers. Like, enjoy that for a month of reading that. So and so begot such and such, who begot, who begot, who begot. We know that you're descendants of Abraham. We keep good records. In fact, the reason why Jews keep such good records is because the only way they could claim, I don't know about today, but in Jesus' time, the only way they could claim uh, uh, possession, land possession, was if they traced their heritage back to one of the 12 tribes. That's the only way they could say, this is my land, and I belong here. And so, like we have a deed to the land in the safe, their deed to their land was their record-keeping of all the, way, all the way back to their forefather Benjamin, like Paul says. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of whomever. And so he's like, I know you're Abraham's descendants. We keep good records. Yet you seek to kill me because my word, what's the word again? The word of faith, the word of believing, the word of resting in the righteousness of someone else. My word of resting in the righteousness of someone else has no place in you. Wow. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, and that with my Father, I want to get like in the weeds here of the Greek, but I speak the things which I have seen in the very presence of my Father. You talk about just intimacy oozing from the statement. I am revealing to you the, thing, the same things that when I was sitting with my Father in the heavenly places, He revealed to me. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your Father. Okay. You know what step on toes means, right? Okay, they don't have sandals on, and Jesus is... All, I mean, they don't have closed-toed shoes on. They have sandals on. And Jesus is about to get all up in their toes in a way that he never has up until this point, at least in the book of John. I hear Jesus saying, "'Of course you descended from Adam uh, from Abraham. "'We have good birth records, but you, "'but you don't think, nor do you believe "'like Abraham thought or believed.'" And Jesus is saying, I think, I believe, and I behave like my father, and so do you. You think, you behave, and you believe just like your father, but your father is not Abraham. They answered him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. Now, what are the deeds of Abraham? The Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, the deeds... No, Brandon, they're not? The deeds of Abraham? What, was the, what were the deeds of Abraham that he's certainly referencing here? Belief. Faith. Genesis 15 or something says that Abraham believed God and was credited as righteous. So the deeds of Abraham weren't the Ten Commandments? No. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had a son, 12 sons. One of them being, uh, um, who's the tribe of Moses from? Moses from, not the tribe of Moses, Yeah, from Le- Levi. One of the twelve was Levi. Levi had a bunch of sons and generations and generations past and generations past in slavery in Egypt and generations. And then one of those sons was a son named Moses who received the Ten Commandments. So the deeds of Abraham, generations before the Ten Commandments, was not keep the Ten Commandments as best as you can. That was not the deeds of Mo- of Abraham. The deeds of Abraham was to believe like Abraham believed. And so he said, if Abraham was truly your father, then you would do what Abraham did. Just like I am doing what I see my father doing. We've, we who have sons, especially, and daughters, we, we know this. Our children do what they see us doing. Sometimes that's good. <laughs> but we know, Steve, sometimes that's bad. Uh... Yeah. I'll just leave that story for later. Um, and so we we know exactly what he's saying. If your father truly was Abraham, then you would do what Abraham did. And that was believe the proceeding word that came from the mouth of the Lord. What was the proceeding word that came from the mouth of the Lord? His first word was take your son, your only son, Isaac, and kill him. But there was a proceeding word. There was another word. Abraham, stop. What if Abraham hadn't continued to listen to the word of the Lord? Abra- Isaac would be dead. And so here's Jesus' point. Abraham is your example of listening to the word of the Lord, the proceeding word. If you would keep my word, what I'm bringing to you now, which comes after everything that came before, if you would follow what I'm telling you now to put your faith in the, in the righteousness of another, then you would be doing exactly what Abraham was doing. Believing the proceeding word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Because the Lord did say, kill Isaac. Just like the Lord did say, do the law, be blessed. Don't do the law, be cursed. He did say that. But there was a proceeding word. There was another word. He told Abraham... Don't kill Isaac as he tells us, them and us today, place your faith in the one who faithfully kept the law in all righteousness and rest in him. So they're obviously not doing that, which he gets really clear. Let's go faster. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. You're, You're not doing what Abraham did. You're seeking to kill me. Uh, We're we on 40. Um, A man, kill me, and he describes me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. Abraham did not try to kill a man or attempt to kill a man who heard the truth from God. You are doing the deeds of your father. So obviously he's excluding Abraham from that picture, from that, you know, Who could possibly be their father? Abraham's out. So they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they said at first their father was Abraham. And Jesus, you know, totally, you know, pulled that rug out from underneath them. They're sitting on their rears now saying like, okay, well, we have another father, God. So who is your father? You don't even know who your father is. You're saying it's Abraham. You're saying it's God. Jesus said to them something very similar. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. Why would that be true? Why would they love Jesus if God was their father? For, F-O-R, it's our famous uh, explanation. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. So if you love God, If he's your father, you're going to love me because I came from him. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. So if he's your father, you're going to love me because he sent me to you. But do they love him? They don't. Uh, If God were your father, you'd be all about what I'm about because I'm all about what God is about. Now, why do you think, before we read our next verse... Why do you think all this father talk is happening? Father. What, what do we think of when we think of father? Like, why are they so adamant about our father is? And Jesus is like, no, your father isn't. What's the whole father thing connecting to? Any ideas? Origin. Your blueprint, your nature, your origin, where you're from.
2: Father's will.
1: Father's will. Okay. Yeah. You see what you, and, and, and yeah, he's definitely saying you, you are doing exactly what your father is doing. And he'll explain that even further in a second. But it speaks of where you are from, where you are, where you originate your nature. And so they are saying they are from Abraham. Jesus is saying, if you're from Abraham, then why aren't you doing the things that Abraham did if you're from Abraham? They're saying that they are from God. And then Jesus is saying, then why aren't you about the things that God is about? He sent me. So if you're from him, then you'd love me. So it speaks of this origin, nature, origination. Verse 43. He asks them a question, and I love it. He answers them because they don't know the answer. Why do you not understand what I am saying? And he answers it. It is because you cannot hear my word. What's the word? It's just, again, Genesis through Revelation. I'm not excluding that, but I think specifically he's talking about my word, this proceeding word, this newest, latest revelation of resting in the life, the righteousness of another. You can't hear it because you're not of Abraham. You're not of God. They are not your fathers. If they were... You'd hear it. But if Abraham nor God are their fathers, then who's their daddy? What's their origin? What's their nature? Who is their daddy? You ready for this one? Verse 44. Put yourself into their little sandals and get ready to get stepped your toes all on. They have a come to Jesus moment here with Jesus. You are of your father the devil like really process that for a second you are now, now he doesn't just say it you know and, and, and uh, what does James Brown say hit it and quit it he doesn't just walk away he explains it he, he, he explains what he means and they, they, they're defenseless and they resort we'll see it in the next verse they resort to what you and I do when we are defenseless against an accusation it's, it's, it's rather comical but he says, your father is the devil, Satan himself, Lucifer, the fallen angel. And you want to do the desires, Will, the desires of your father. You want to do what your father wants to do. That's how I know you're not of Abraham because you don't want to do what Abraham did. That's how I know you're not of God because you don't want to do and you're not about what God is about. But I know what you're about and I know the devil. And so you're the, he's your origin. He's your nature. He's your, where you are from. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. Why do you think Jesus brings up this reality, this truth about the devil being a murderer from the beginning? What are they trying to do to him? Murder him. That's your nature. That's where you're coming from. It's from the devil himself. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth. What are they not willing to receive? What are they not willing to accept? The truth. Moses, uh, Abraham didn't do that. Of course, God doesn't do that. God is truth. But you're like your father, the devil, who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. This sentence is really cool right here. Let's break it down quickly. Whenever he speaks a lie, and in the Greek, A is also could be, the, the a, it could be equally translated whenever he speaks the lie. So it could have a definite article. Okay, it doesn't have to be indefinite. Whenever he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own nature. It's, it's, it's who he is. He's a liar. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, let's, let's pause this for a second. This, to me, must have been before Jesus read the bestseller book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because he tells them that, calls them the sons of anarchy, the sons of the devil. So let's get this straight. He's not only calling them the sons of the devil, that the devil is their father, but he's also saying that the devil is the father of what? Lies. So the devil is the father of you and the devil is the father of lies. So at minimum, who's your twin brother? Lies. When you look in the mirror and you see your twin, what do you see? You see lies. He's the father of you and he's the father of lies. Lies. What lie? And here's where I want to make a deal about this. This could be, and it might not be, but it could mean the lie. When he speaks the lie, he speaks from his own nature. What do you think, if this is a definite lie, like the lie, what lie do you think Jesus might likely be referring to? Think way back in the garden with Eve and the promise that the devil made, the lie, that the devil made to, the, to Eve. Don't you want to be like God? If you just knew what God knew, you would be like him. That's a lie. Why? Because they were already created in his dead gum I- image. They were already like him. It was a lie. The lie was if you just knew right from wrong, apart from union with him, then you could be like God. You could be God. But as we talked about last week, the human conscience just simply isn't capable of, of handling the knowledge of right and wrong. Because as Paul talks about in Romans 2, and we mentioned this last week, I won't belabor it now, our conscience, so under-designed uh, uh, under, uh, to handle it, simply pats ourselves on the back when we do something good, and then it condemns us when we do something bad. Uh, we can't handle it. And so the lie I hear Jesus saying is this lie that you can be like God just if you just simply knew right from wrong and tried your best to do the right and to avoid the wrong. This is a lie that he speaks and you are siblings with this lie. It's your twin brother. It's your twin sister. You are in, you live with, you identify with this lie. And did they? Of course they did. I mean, these are Jewish first century people trying their best to not do wrong and trying their best to do right to gain credit with God. Um, But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. The truth and the spawn of Satan are incompatible. You do not believe me. You are of your father, the devil, who is the father of lies. You are equal with lie. I speak truth. That's why you don't believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Jesus asks them. Go out through my track record. Who can convict me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? In other words, the only reason you don't believe me is because you are of your father, the devil, who will not ever believe the truth. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Now, honestly, can you picture in your mind the number of Jewish jaws that are just Flop down on the ground as they're hearing this carpenter son from Galilee telling them that he is, in fact, of God, he is truth, he is the light, and they think that they're sons of Abraham and of God, but in fact, the devil is their father and they are not of God. Can you imagine? I mean, how would that make you feel? Right? So it's no wonder what picks up in chapter nine, chapter ten, chapter eleven, as we head towards the cross. Well, picking up a jaw, somebody says to him, the exact same thing we say when we've been uh, accused, when when we've been um, uh, uh, when something's been pointed out in us that is true. We've been uh, confronted and it's absolute truth, and there's nothing we can say to counteract it or to defend ourselves, what do we do? We resort to what? Name-calling. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, The Jews answered, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a devil, a demon? They just resort to name-calling. You know, well, well, you're a mama. that's That's all they know to do. They have nothing. They can't say, they can't defend their actions. They can't defend what they've done, their track record. They can't point out any sin in him. He asked them, can you point a sin in me? And of course they can't. And so they just have to resort to name calling, calling him a Samaritan. And that's, I know we talked about the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, uh, months ago now. But but that is one of the most insulting uh, insults that they could have hurled that you could hurl at a Jew calling them a Samaritan because the Samaritan ironically were the people who the Jews who stayed behind during the exile the Babylonian exile and they intermarried with other cultures and then when the the Jews seventy some odd years later returned They were expecting to find the faithful brothers and sisters from generations past. And what did they find? They found people who had uh, abandoned the Lord and married other cultures and were these, quote, half-breeds. All right? That's what they they think of the Samaritans, these half-breeds. Well, here's the irony. They're calling Jesus a half-breed, and they themselves are the ones who are the spawn of Satan. You can't make this stuff up. So Jesus answered them, I don't have a demon, <laughs> but I honor my father and you dishonor me, but I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if, you, uh, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is a throwback to the beginning of the conversation where he says, the sun when the sun sets you free you will be free what indeed meaning period end of sentence why not just simply because of a declaration of freedom but because the one who set you free remains forever as we saw in hebrews so he's throwing back to that open beginning of the conversation that part of the conversation that if anyone keeps my word what word the message he's telling them about placing your faith in the righteousness of someone else. You will never see death. Well, this just totally doesn't settle well with these Jews who had begun. Remember, these are Jews who had begun to believe that he was in fact the Messiah. So they said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died. The prophets, Jeremiah all of them, they died also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste uh, death, never, uh, never, he will never taste of death. Uh, sorry, I lost my place. 53. Surely, they said to him, you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? great question. You think Jesus uh, answers this one? Yes, He does. Verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If I talk about myself, if I try to bring credit to myself, it doesn't really matter. It is my Father who glorifies me. Now, how did the Father glorify the Son? Ultimately, by bringing Him what? Back from the dead. And placing Him where his name is above every other name to the point where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's saying, if I just say this about myself, it doesn't really mean anything. But if the Father does this, it means everything. It's the Father who glorifies me. Of whom you say, he is our God. I love that. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, then I'm like you. I'm a liar. If I say I don't know him, I'm nothing more than you, than you. Uh, uh, simply a liar by nature. But I do know him, and I keep his word, what he is telling me to do. Your father, now look, I don't know if they had air quotes back in Jesus' day, but if they did, because I love air quotes, uh, one of our kids was trying to use air quotes the other day, and I was like, no, that's not really it, but you know, <laughs> anyways, he's already said that Abraham's not their father, Right? So, like, I just can't imagine, you know, Jesus, in speaking his Aramaic, you know, with these, you know, Jews in the temple. Like, maybe if we had, like, this scene of the Jesus film, like, maybe he's like, your father, Abraham. Because he's already said he's not their father. But in air quotes, you think he's your father. So we'll go with that. But obviously he's not. So your father, Abraham, look at this, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Now, it's not as if Jesus hasn't already, like, turned the temperature up enough for these guys. But now that he's saying that the one whom they have put their hope in, the one whom they think they're from, Abraham, he was waiting to celebrate me, Jesus is saying. well. Do you think they're like, oh, that explains it all. Okay, Messiah, you are. No. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old, yet you've seen Abraham. I want to point out something. Jesus makes a statement saying, Abraham rejoiced to see me. You see that? It's on the screen here. Abraham celebrated me. Abraham, let's use a modern word like worship. Abraham was all about worshiping Me in My day to come. Why? Because I'm come to take away the sins of the world, so that what Abraham had in the old covenant, a foretaste of this righteousness by faith, those who come now after have a righteousness by faith that's not just covering them, but it's actually. Im- computed into them. It's who they are, a whole righteous core, which Abraham never had, called the new birth, the new man, the new creation. And Abraham couldn't wait for that. And he saw it. Abraham's eyes were on me, I hear Jesus saying. They say, you're not 50 years old and you're saying your eyes were on Abraham? You see that? Yet you saw Abraham? So Jesus' emphasis is, Abraham's eyes were on me. Their emphasis, you're crazy. You're saying that You saw Abraham? So, who's the more uh, uh, preeminent in their mind still? Abraham. And so Jesus sets that record straight, second to last verse. He says to them Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, literally, before Abraham existed, I am. I existed. Now, again, throwback. He already did this earlier in the chapter, this I am. What is this? What should this remind us of? The burning what? Bush. When uh, Moses was said, who is it that, who is it should I say sent me? And God in the burning bush says, tell them I am that I am. The name of God, I am. And so Jesus here, the man, The God man is saying, truly, I tell you, you're not going to believe me because your father's the devil, but I'm going to tell you nonetheless, before Abraham existed, I existed. I am the clearest claim of unquestionable claim of being God, Jesus greater than Abraham, Abraham excited to see Jesus. We don't have time to turn there and get into it, but Hebrews, going back to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews explains this, how Jesus is greater than Abraham. Because this is a big deal. Abraham was the father of it all. He was the one who received the promises from God about the land, the territory, everything that would come, the provision. And so now there's someone on the scene who is even greater than Abraham And in Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, explains that there was a a moment, and you read about it in Genesis, where Abraham actually gave a tenth of all of the loot that he just stole from a bunch of other kings to this king named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, without getting into the details, just for time's sake, was a picture, a sign, a, a, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself and so, in fact, Malik, Melchizedek, Melchizedek is king in Hebrew, and uh, uh, the other phrase has to do, uh, he's the king of Salem, which is now Jerusalem, but the king of peace in English. The king of peace received tithes from Abraham. And that's a shadow of Jesus. Jesus was, came, the scripture says, God actually says in, in Psalms, that he came and established the, 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 the priesthood of Melchizedek forever. And so Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, understands that Jesus is greater than Abraham. But again, do you think that this settled the issue for these Jews who remember our first verse, who had begun to what him? Believe him, that he was the Messiah. They were like, hey, this might fit, this might work. And at the conclusion of this chapter, these Jews who had begun to believe him, look at this, verse 59. Therefore, hearing that Jesus is saying he is God and greater than, Moses, uh, than, than Abraham, they picked up stones. They're in the temple. They're picking up temple stones <laughs> to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. It was too much. They couldn't receive it. Why? Because they were of their father, the devil. Truth had no place in them because they were not of truth. They were of the father of lies. Now, I don't want to... Actually, I'll say that in a second. So what's our our journey marker? Our journey marker, this is the end of chapter 8. Our journey marker, This. This. we've had several... Bumper sticker passages, you know, whoever's son sets free is free indeed. You know, a couple others. When we look at the context of what's happening at the time of Jesus' life with these, Pharise- uh, with these Jews, some of them being Pharisee, but this is a group of people who said, hey, you really might actually be the Messiah. They're starting to believe him. I can't get beyond this simple question. Slave or free? Which will it be? Slave of sin, trying under your own effort as a slave to remove your slavehood, your slaveship, a slave trying to earn their freedom, or free, as set free by the grace, the mercy of the Son. Which will it be? Are you going to? Continue as a slave, for how can a slave... The problem with the slave setting themselves free in that culture was that the slave was born what? A slave. By birth. It was a slave. And if the slave didn't have another uh, speaking for them or another who would come and and even, if you will, adopt them or bring them out of that, that lineage of slaveship... Then they would just continue being a slave and their children would be slaves and their children would be slaves and on and on. But when there comes a son who, through kindness and mercy and forgiveness, says to that slave, be free, that slave now is able to exit slaveship and enter freedom. Freedom from what are we talking about here spiritually? Freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Freedom to sin? No. Freedom from sin. And we are truly free. We who have embraced the the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace of God. We have exited this slave ship that we were in to sin. And when sin entered, what also came with it? Death. Death. And so that's why ultimately the death of Jesus on the cross came because he became our sin so that we who place our trust in him do not experience this death because of sin. Sure, this body is going to fall off one day, but we are not simply the body. We are a inner man, a new creation, either the old creation still in Adam, or a new creation in the last Adam from Jesus Christ himself. And so there is an opportunity to go from slave to free, an opportunity for the Jews of his day and for any person of this day. And what is that, what does it take to go from slave to free? To do what Abraham did. Do the deeds of Abraham. Which is what? Belief. Believe. Trust. Believe God. And you become as righteous as God. What does verse 12 say? Anybody got their Bible? Go up to verse 12. First one gets a mint.
3: <laughs> Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. All
1: right, that's good enough. I am the light of the world. That's the whole chapter. That's the the whole premise of chapter 8. They bring this woman into him. They're trying to shed light on the situation through Moses. Jesus shuts that scenario down, and he speaks in verse 12, saying, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one that's going to shed light into the true situation. Here's the true situation. The issue is your father isn't Abraham. Your father isn't God. Your father is the devil himself. And you will remain a child of the devil, dead in your sins, until the time comes where you, like Abraham, do what Abraham did. So here's what I, how I want to just wrap up real quickly. Follow the, the common thought here. They did not see their slavery. Remember that? We will be set free. What are you saying? We've never been slaves of anybody. They didn't see their slavery, did they? They didn't see their true origin, their true father, did they? They didn't see it. They thought they were sons of God and of Abraham. But they didn't see their true nature, their true origin. They didn't see, therefore, their need for rescue. If you don't see your condition, if you don't see your slavery if you don't see your true father then you don't see the need for a rescue what's the theme there what's what are we seeing they don't see they don't see craig could you read verse 12 again i am the light of the world i am the light of the world what a statement what a god who came to shed light into the reality so that those of us, us included, a couple generations later, who didn't see. Paul says that the Gentiles, talking about unbelievers, are darkened in their understanding, thinking everything's copacetic, everything's good, everything's okay. But Jesus is the light of the world so that we, for the first time, can see a real Slavery to sin before Christ. To see before Christ who who our father, our nature, our origin really is. The father of lies. And to see because light has been shed. The need for rescue. And rescue coming by doing what Abraham did. Believing. It's that simple. The light of the world. Now. Without looking over to chapter 9, okay, what do you think of all the potential miracles for the light of the world to do following up this conversation with these Jews, Jews who were blinded, who couldn't see, of all the potential miracles to be the very next miracle in chapter 9, verse 1, what do you think the very next miracle might happen to be? Make a blind man see. Isn't that cool? Now, it wasn't just any blind man. Now, let's don't get on next week's message yet. You're ready to go eat lunch. But a man blind from what? Birth. Why is that so significant? Because that's the condition. We are blind from birth spiritually. And unless the light of the world sheds light into our condition, we will remain blind. Blind from birth. We will, as Jesus already said earlier in the chapter, we will die in our sins. So, the blind see. The healing of the man born blind, which we'll get into next week. Um, Let me see what time it is. Um, Any quick thoughts before we uh, conclude and break up for the morning that you may have? Yeah. Yeah
3: might be a stretch but i was trying to piece all this together so i was trying to figure out where he was physically in the temple and i think he was in that that open court where all the men and women could come so like the gentiles were on the outer rim and then like he was Uh in the court of women or whatever they call it and um weren't there like 13 jars or so around where everyone could come in and drop their tithes and offerings into the jars and then there i think Uh there were actual like tall lanterns that were lit during certain festivals and stuff. And so that's when he's saying, like, I'm the light of the world oh, in this court where right. the cool. population of the Jewish religion this is as close as they could get to God hmm. unless you were like higher up in the hierarchy.
1: Right, fire.
2: Yeah. And so priest the yeah.
3: closest that you can get to God is in this open court where there's still like your effort involved in hmm. dropping in tithes and offerings. And he's in this place where there are these lights that are lit. But he's, he's communicating here that he has a, a word, this word that you're not hearing, this like, new message, this uh-huh. this new language of uh-huh. how to approach the Lord. And I just remember in, in high school when I studied Latin, like the verb to be uh-huh. was like, basically, if you didn't know that, you're done. Uh-huh. So, like knowing how to change I am to I was. is right. like, will be, I have been. Like, uh-huh. like, how to uh-huh. take it how to take the word to be was the anchor for how we're going to develop how we speak and read and communicate in Latin. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that as he's saying, I've got this word, I've got this message, that he himself makes himself the word, the verb to be. Like, I am the anchor of this new word. Right.
1: No. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, I can confess myself. I've, I've until diving into John for this series, I've not, you know, made half of these connections myself, because I've just like you guys have pulled out these little passages, these little stories, these little events, but not seeing it in its grander context, uh, like what you're saying with being in the temple and you know what, what's going on in their lives. And I just think it's fantastic to see what's happening. Yeah, Jonas.
2: we have faith like Abraham? In other words, if we want to know God, we do the deeds of Abraham, which is faith. And I just have kind of a question, but then I think you answered very well by what you went through, and that is, can we um, somehow, in spite of it, it being good to have faith, make that into a work or works? I think Brandon last Sunday alluded to that somewhat. That that faith we don't see faith as as works or even the work of Abraham. In other words, mm-hmm. it's a very subtle thing. Yeah. Um, and when you turn to Hebrews, uh, I felt that that shed some light on that. He said, if we draw near to God, mm-hmm. and we think of that as having faith, mm-hmm. drawing to mm-hmm. him, receiving the message, and then it follows up by saying, for He makes intercession. -hmm. For us, Mm -hmm. and so that gets really that leaves us very stripped in the very idea for us to be able to have faith. And then you talked about the beginning of the next chapter. Mm -hmm. What does he do? The work of Jesus is. It says he is the one that made these Mm -hmm. blind people Mm -hmm. to see. Right. Yeah. And not, and then we had faith Mm -hmm. because he did a work. Mm Mm-hmm. So it leaves us yeah. very, very very, stripped from, yeah. from anything if we're inclined right. to make faith into works right. We realize that the reason right reason that we can even yeah. with Jesus is he, right. he makes intercession. Yeah. That's His work. Sure, yeah. So yeah,
1: faith is a response to a work, I think is what you're saying. And that's exactly right because we, Abraham, his faith was a response to the promises that God said to him. Uh, your descendants will be like the stars in the sand, you know, all this sort of stuff. The the response to God's promise was, he could believe it or not believe it, you know, and that's that. I see as the word... I think Jesus is playing on that word works ergon in the Greek of you can where we get the word energy from. You can do if uh, you if you if you're, if you're at, like Hebrews says if you, uh, Hebrews four says make every effort to rest. Like if you feel as though you have to do something. Here's what to do. Rest in the righteousness of someone else. And, and like with the work of Abraham. Uh, yeah, of Abraham. So if, if, if we're going to call this, if, you, if you're hung up on this idea of what you need to do, work. Work the deeds of Abraham. Do the deeds of Abraham, not of what the Pharisees are telling you. What did Abraham do? He responded by faith. That's it. Respond by faith. Awesome. Anything else? Yeah.
3: Let's
0: so say you
3: said something crazy. Yeah. And there's what? 20 of us in here? I dare you to try to get out the door unless you're in here. Oh. But like, yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. It says Jesus slipped
0: out. Right. Um, like, yeah. He's in the
3: court. <laughs> yeah. He is literally the center of attention. Yeah. People are picking up weapons to kill him. Yeah. And he just like. Yeah. So yeah. Like, I wonder if there's a.
1: So th- this can be translated passively also. Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple.
3: <laughs> the were like the best ever, or
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think revival. it's definitely there divine.
3: Like some sort of supernatural.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. 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 It's, it's already
1: happened several yeah. times in John.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I wonder if
1: there's
3: like. Uh, Obviously the spiritual blinding to not being able to see who he was, but then also a blinding of like, yeah, it's not your time to see right. right. Like, so they're
1: throwing stones at each other, you know, sort of a right. deal. Like, yeah, because like that try, happens in you try to get out of here, yeah, you know, us being able to like drive right. down before you get to your car. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's definitely divine for sure. And that happened in the Old Testament, right, where the there was trumpet blast. I don't remember the exact uh, example off the top of my head, but there was such confusion amongst the uh, the foreign army that they ended up slaughtering themselves and the army of israel didn't lose anybody i'll have to go back and reference that but it was during the conquest of the of the promised land uh some similar you know they jesus they're ready to, to fight and he's they, who are they going to throw stones at if he's not even there it doesn't say that they throw stones at themselves but it it just that similar correlation of he was hidden from them he hid himself he was hidden from their sight and went out of the temple whether that's like, like vanish or deal? I don't know. He's God. He could do what he wants. You know. Certainly.
3: Yeah, I, feel, I feel like that would. Like I don't know. I guess if I just saw you vanish, I'd be like, oh crud. He's maybe like. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, there's got to be something to. Yeah. Know, just being able to slip out over and over and over. Again.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And I don't obviously know the layout exactly of the temple. I mean, is there like a side corner? You know. I mean, I, I, but your but your point is very well taken. Like this is very wild that he could numerous times do this.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.